The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone. You're listening to the Late Morning Program with Nam Ras, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm your host, Nam Ras, and I'm here with my dear, dear friend, my old friend, Om Rishikesh. Om, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Nama, for inviting me to the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm honored. <laughs> so, so for those of you who don't know, me and Om go a long time back. We were brahmacharis together, although he was a brahmachari much longer than I was. Hmm. Uh, we lived in the uh, what's now called the Bhakti Center, but at the time was called the Sanctuary. And this was even when uh, Kirtananda Swami Bhaktipad was living there at the time and we were living there at the same time. And it was a very interesting time. And uh, myself and Om Rishikesh became very, very close. We would, you know, we, we were just like basically attached at the hip, like through <laughs> those years uh, as monks, uh, brahmacharis there in the temple. And I thought to bring Om on because he has a very interesting story. Uh, he has a very interesting journey, and I just love talking to him, even though we haven't been in touch so much uh, through the past few years. But I always, when I talk to him, I always feel like, uh, you know, like we were never di you know, distant in any way uh, because we, we, we kind of were in the trenches together, you could say, right, Om? <laughs> and uh, so let's start up from there, Om. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, like where you grew up and uh, what inspired you or what interest you, interested you in, in spirituality. Yeah, I was born in the Andes. Um, it's very interesting. I realized that, you know, some people are so proud of their nationality or like, I am Colombian, I am American. Yeah. In a way, I'm like, I was born in the Andes. I was born in these beautiful mountains in South America nice. where Colombia happens to be. So <laughs> nice. I was born in Bogota and uh, I lived there for 14 years of my life. So it was childhood. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family, but more like a very relaxed Catholic family where we just went to church on Sundays and God was in the picture, but it was never like the main focus of our lives. So, but it, it was a, a beautiful introduction for me to, um, to God. So I always grew up believing in God and knowing that there was a higher power um the christian tradition just happened not to have all the answers that i wanted uh, for example when my dog died uh, she was this gigantic saint bernard and she died and i was like where is she now where is her soul right. so i asked this to my parents and they're like oh we don't know animals don't have soul ask your grandma <laughs> because my grandma was kind of like the matriarch of the family spiritually she was like she would make us go to church. She would like make us go to roastery. Like her life was actually a very God conscious life. And I asked her now, she's like, I actually don't know by what, why don't we pay for a service for the dog? So in, in many ways I was like, oh, wow, this is like a woman that she, in my eyes would be one of the ones I'd be like, oh, you're going to hell for asking that question. But she was like, oh no. I actually don't know, but let's actually do something pious for your dog. 
And that was such a beautiful thing that my grandma always instilled in me. It was just like, um, water your relationship with God, nurture that. Wow. Um, so she was kind of like my mom was my first guru. My grandma was my second guru. Mm. And then and then you went to school, like high school there, or how, how did that work? I was there until middle school. Okay. And then we moved to the United States, to Miami. And I finished um, high school in Miami. But this uh, transition of just being a teenager, moved from Bogota to Miami, it was so rough for me. Mm. I was just like feeling so lost. And I just felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. But this feeling of not fitting in, of not knowing what I was doing, of feeling depressed, just brought about this quest where I was like, I want to be happy. I, I, I started doing all sorts of drugs and they were not like taking me anywhere. You know, I was just like hiding deeper and not understanding where the light was. But I think because I had that relationship with God, with the divine, I kind of had like a revelation where I started praying that I wanted to meet people who were looking for God and people who had found him. You were thinking like this as a like a 14, 15 year old? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's very rare. Oh, thank I think I, I guess I think yeah. Rare. I mean most kids don't think like that. They're like Anyway, so you 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 were praying like that. It's very fascinating. I actually always prayed to God for things that I wanted. Really? Not I, like material things. Like I never prayed to God for like, oh, I want to travel here. I want to I want this toy, but if I wanted really something from my heart, like I think before, like around 12, I think I had this, a little bit of like a rockish, I, I was still finding my place in the world and I mm -hmm. felt lonely. So I prayed to God that I wanted friends. And I just started praying to God that I wanted friends and boom, we moved houses and I became like the popular kid in my new neighborhood. So mm -hmm. I knew that prayer and that that connection had, had some power. So because I was feeling so lonely and uh, there was just like, I, I didn't have any taste for anything. I was just, I just felt like a, <laughs> this is a very devoted thing, like a driven cloud. <laughs> <laughs> a driven, right, right, right. Yes, the driven yeah. cloud. Right. So I prayed to God that I wanted to have that experience. And, and through that, I felt like I had this kind of like a vision of meditation. I didn't know what it meant, but... So one other, I got the inspiration that I wanted to learn how to meditate. So this is around when I'm 15, um, 15, 16. And what I did is just I went to the library and got all the books of Eastern philosophies that I could find. I had dreadlocks because I was smoking a lot of weed and <laughs> trying to be a Rastafarian, whatever that meant. Right. But at the same time, I was reading books on Buddhism. Um, yeah, and, and Buddhist books were the ones who, why I became a vegetarian, because I became aware of the notion of um, that there was a soul in animals. That was the first, when I read that, I was like, oh, I knew it. You know, I was like, I was <laughs> right. There was something deep inside of me that was like, my dog cannot be gone. She had a personality. She was like this whole being. Wow. Amazing. Um, 
<laughs> and and then, so you became a vegetarian at that time. And and yeah. for those of you who don't know, we'll talk about this later. But Ohm has a vegetarian chef. He's a vegetarian chef. He's a, has a business about it. So anyway, yeah. continue there. For so you so you went to the library. You got all the Buddhist books, and it made, you became vegetarian. Made me become a vegetarian, and I just like try to. I was doing some sort of fast. Anything that I read in those books, I was like, okay, let me try this. Right, like so. There was a book that talked about fasting. So here I am. 15 years old, doing two days of water fasting. My mom is freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I was going through this journey with this uh, guy who I met in school. He became like my best friend. Uh, his name is Andres. No, no, no. Actually, there was not Andres. It was Juan. Juan, Juan. yeah, yeah. I think I – did I meet him? I don't know if you met Juan. Okay, Maybe but I've Juan heard of him. I think Juan came to the temple once. Yeah. And Juan and I were doing this whole thing. We right. were searching together. And Juan was approached by the devotees in the at the beach, in Miami Beach, and they gave him a book. So this is very interesting to see how even like vegetarianism has grown and veganism has grown in the world at such crazy extent in the last 10, 15 years. At that time, there was no vegetarian restaurants in Miami except for like a Rastafarian restaurant in the middle of little Haiti, which I was not allowed to go. And then at the, in the back of the book that we got, which I think was, what is a little blue book, which is like a pamphlet. Um, not higher taste, right? No, I think it's Krishna playing the flute. Like, oh, really, it's called Krishna, the Supreme Person. I got it. I think. I think that's the that's the first pamphlet we got. Yeah, it's and, like purpley. Blue. Yes, purpley, and it's like a really old school Krishna painting. Yes, yes, yes. At the at the back of the book, it said that the temple in Miami had a vegetarian restaurant. So Juan went, and Juan went, and like he's like he immediately was like, "This is the truth," and I was like. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was, um, although I was so open to all sorts of traditions, somehow another organ, organized religion was scary mm. to me because I had just come from Catholicism and I knew all the struggles of the church. Um, when he told me that he found the truth, I was like, oh God, they're brainwashing him. That was the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> And he convinced me to come to the temple. And in the night before I went to the temple, I don't know, I felt really tender. I, I knew that, like, I think my soul knew that something was coming. Mm. Like, I remember I was crying the day before, like, for no reason. Wow. But I was afraid of going to the temple. I think that I knew that if I went there, my whole life would change. Wow. And then... Did you eventually go to the temple? I went, I went to a temple like on a Saturday. It was 4 p.m. So Krishna had just woken up and they had given him his offering. So from the altar comes out, rasgulas is in uh, sweet rice and ladus and fruit. And they give me this bowl of like this conglomerate of different things. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I popped in my mouth the first rasgula that was like, I mean, it, it was rasgula because they didn't make rasmalai, but it was rasgula and they had put it in the sweet rice. So when I put it in my mouth, there was sweet rice and rasgula and all these, these explodes in my mouth. And I'm like, wow, 
What is this? I have never tried something so delicious. Right. Amazing. And that was like, I think that was like the, that was the hook. <laughs> mm. And you weren't at that time you were. And then after that, were you still like, okay, organized religion, like kind of stay away no. or were you like, oh, I'm full hundred percent in there. That day, like all the walls, just like all that fear that I was feeling and all my apprehensions were just like dispelled. Um, the guy who was talking to us is my god brother. His name is Chaitananda Chaitanya. And at that time, Andres. Uh, Achutananda was just such a sweet human and his wife, and they were just like so accommodate, like they were just like showing us everything and being super nice. Every single question that we had, he they seemed to have an answer. So that day I had prashadam, then we went to the temple, and the temple in Miami is just gorgeous. It's like it's all marble, huge ceilings, and when they opened the altar, I actually even remember the, the dress that the deities had. Really? Yeah, is this is because of course I later on lived in that temple. Right. So I remember is is this black and red, almost like you know, like Spanish style, <laughs> like flamenco. It was like a flap like a full-on flamenco dress. Right. And when I saw the deities, it was not even weird to me. I was like, oh. They're so beautiful. I like beautiful things. I like artistic, beautiful things. Like you could tell that there was some, although I didn't think about devotion at that moment. I was just like, wow, these people pay a lot of attention. And I grew up going to Catholic church and there's, there's saints and statues yeah. all over the place. Right. So it just, and I, I think just like the background of, is like a Brindavan beautiful thing. And then the marble temple, the altar itself is just, I was like, taken aback by the beauty of it i went for the to the first time to miami temple a few months ago yeah how was it, was it beautiful it was beautiful i was like i remembered you because i remember that's where you coconut yeah. you used to talk about coconut grove coconut grove and yeah like, coconut what grove. is he talking about then i went there and i was like okay this is the place like beautiful temple and i mean it was very empty because of covid and things like that but it was the, the grounds were really nice and the deities were really beautiful and it was just like, wow, okay, this is, and it's like kind of like one or two blocks away from like a really kind of hip area and yeah. stuff. So it was really yeah. interesting to go there. So then after you went to the temple there and then did you, <laughs> did you like, wait, join or? That day, like everything happened that day. Like I had prashadam, I went to Arti, then they're like, oh, we're going on Harinam. And I was like, okay, I had seen Harinam before because when I was little, in Bogota, there was there was a TV show, like a there was like this rock TV show, like at, at 4 p.m. when I came home, and every day I would hear there was like so the the intro of the show was like a Hare Krishna playing Mridanga, and then like Hare Krishna, and then this guy would just like slam a guitar on the floor, but that was like for years that was the first thing that I saw when I came home. <laughs> wow! So I knew that the Hare and I saw Hare Krishnas when I was little like trying to sell incense. And I was like, what? Who are these people? Mm. And then even right before I went to the temple, I saw my dear friend and beloved teacher, Siddhavidya Prabhu. I saw him on Harinam in, in Miami Beach. And he like 
greeted me with his cartels, like how he would like greet people. Tell us a little bit about him because pe- I don't people. Some people know <laughs> him, but some people don't. He was kind of like a legend in that area, right? See, the video Prabhu to me was uh, a living saint. Um, I think I. Okay, so I went to I met Sidavidia that day officially, and he took us out on Harinam in Coconut Grove. Uh, and for me, it was like it was a little uncomfortable because I was just like chanting with these people, and there was like the dancing, and I was like, but it was joyful. I could even see that people were not even making fun of them; people were actually enjoying what was happening. Right. <laughs> so that was my introduction to Sidavidia. That was my introduction to Harinam. And to talk about Siddhavidya, um, he's a Prabhupada disciple, right? He was a Prabhupada disciple. Yeah, he passed deceased. away. I mean, he, he left his body recently. He left his body. No, it was a number of years now. A number, yeah, pro, I, I'm not sure how long ago. Yeah. Um, I was in New York still, so probably like six or seven years ago. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Siddhavidya became like. Uh, one of the most exciting parts of me going to a temple. Because after that day, when I tried Prashadam, Harinam, the deities, everything, they even taught me how to plant, chant Japa. So I got my Japa that day. And they told me, they're like, uh, you can come every day to eat if you like. And I was like, okay. I had just become a vegetarian. So I was surviving on cereal, grilled cheese sandwich, and salads. And maybe like a tofu stir fry that I learned how to make. Those were like my four items of food. <laughs> so when they told me to come and eat, I was like, I'll be there. <laughs> so I hadn't turned 16 yet. I actually, I think I was still 15 because, but I happened to live on US 1, which is where you can take a bus to the train and the train actually leaves you close to the temple. So I started doing that. I started like biking home every day, getting on the bus getting on the train and going to a temple. And this was like, I would do this Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the beginning because those were the days that Siddhavidya Prabhu would uh, do a little class on the Bhagavad Gita. This man was awesome. He was the only person in the temple that came to Mangalartic, greeting of the deities, Sundar Arti, and then Gora Arti. And he will sing in every one of those he was just like even if there if there was somebody else to play merdanga for him he would be happy if he was the only one just playing his cartels he was there every day wow so this was his sadhana his sadhana was to see the lord for mangalartik for sundarati and gorarti and then he would go on harinam by himself if he was the only one going monday to saturday Sunday was the only day that he didn't go out because he would rest and then he was just go to he would sing for the Gora Arctic for all the devotees. Wow. And then he would also give class almost every morning for Bhagavatam because Miami Temple is always been I think like a skeleton um, crew. Yeah, yeah. There's not many people. That's why I moved to New York because I oh, wanted to no. be with more brahmacharis. It was just like my all my my entire association was Dharma Prabhu in the kitchen, and Siddhavidya Prabhu. Uh, and Siddhavidya was just like a very gentle human. Uh, he was born very wealthy, so 
I think, you know, the reason, like, there's, like, non-fat milk, right? Like, we have this whole thing of, like, no fat. Yeah. His father was so influential in the Jewish community that he had a heart attack when he was younger. So he created this whole propaganda of, like, making non-fat milk products. And, like, that's why we have non-fat milk products is because of his dad. So mm -hmm. they were uber wealthy. And the way that he, I mean, of course, I think for him was very difficult to accept that Siddhavidya became a Hare Krishna. So instead of giving him like millions of dollars all at once, he just gave him an allowance for the rest of his life. So Siddhavidya lived like a, as, a, as a rich human because he lived like in a beautiful house right in front of the temple. But this guy lived like, like you should his house his house had furniture but then you would go into his room he had a wife and a child but they had very different lives mm -hmm. and he lived in a room with no bed just like a cardboard and in the in his closet there were his deities of radha krishna and then he probably had like i don't know five like not even like probably two dotties because his dotties were so tattered he's <laughs> he's in a, in a really in a little bit when we when we read about jada Bharat, right uh, reminds <laughs> me of see the video a little bit because like his brahmin thread was black <laughs> like i enter prabhu yeah and um and he so he slept on a cardboard the he had he had bordered up the window of his room he had like a piece of black, of like a, a piece of wood so that he wouldn't see outside. And he would just play Ayindra Prabhu, Prabhupada all day. Uh, so my love for Ayindra Prabhu came from, from Siddhavidya Prabhu and from my first, like, I just, I don't know. He, he saw something in me and allowed me to be part of his entourage. So I... I wanted to move to the temple right away. And the devotees were like, no, we want you to finish high school. So I finished high school. So for like two years, I was coming to the temple almost every day. When I turned 16, I got my first car and I would just drive to the temple every day. Wow. And he, he kind of took you, took you under his wing and. Yeah. I mean, for, for him in a way, it was like, it was somebody to go to Harinam with, hmm. but he also took liking on, a liking on me. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and he was American? He was American. He was from... Uh, Do you know where he joined or anything? Yeah, he joined because of Vishnu, Vishnu John. Vishnu oh. John Swami. Oh, okay. he, he, I think he joined in Austin, Texas. Wow. He was originally from Omaha, I think. Okay, Nebraska maybe. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and and uh, do you know how he left his body? Yeah, he um I think he I think what he was struggling with was Parkinson. Oh or I see. Alzheimer's. One of those. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, but even like when we were together, he had this little thing where he would shake a little bit. Oh, I see. Got and it just got it just got worse and worse with time. Mm -hmm. When I told him that I was so I I at sixteen no no no, actually at eighteen, when I finished high school. I lived in my house for like one more week. And one day I was like, mom, dad, I'm leaving. I'm moving to a temple. And I just like, actually, I had already gotten rid of all my clothes. I went to a Goodwill and gave up all my nice clothes. <laughs> wow. And just moved to a temple. 
Um, it was not I that am, I need, I didn't want I to mean, be a brahmachari. I didn't have even an idea of what that was. Right. But I just wanted to have the full experience. I liked it too much. What was it about it? The, about the just the devotees, the kapshadam, the, the every. It's like that. Oh God! It was. It was like so many of those things. It, I mean, I was so enchanted by the whole process of Krishna consciousness. Mm. Like I love the music. I think my entire life I've been wanting to sing. Like there was something inside of me that wanted to sing, but I didn't know what to sing. So I think discovering my voice and I learned how to play cartels right away. Like I was in CD video liked it. Like he liked my cartel playing. He would like stop people from playing cartels, you know? Like, <laughs> and he was like pretty like, ah, <laughs> He would get right. he would get upset pretty easily about right. that about about Kirtan. Mm. Um, I liked him. I, there was something so electric and exciting about his life. I was like, "Whoa, this is a wealthy man that lives like like a homeless inside his house." You know, like what? What is this? You know, like I need to know more. And just um, going to class. For two years uh, of Bhagavad Gita in the evenings, just um, yeah, open my appetite for spirituality. Like I, and I think just having there's one thing of reading the book yourself, and there's another experience of listening to someone like to a guru, to somebody who has the vigyan that has realized all this and that can like by his by his vakya, by his speech, he can just like really impart that. So mm -hmm. I think that I, I think Siddhavidya gave me that. Right. And he gave Absolutely. me a, a taste of his namruchi, you know, like I've always, even, I mean, now, I don't know, going to Harinam right now sounds so uncomfortable to me. <laughs> like sometimes I see the devotees here and I'm like, oh, no, like I, is not, is not in my bones anymore to do it. Right. Right. I, I think I lost a little bit. Of, I mean, I love Kirtan. I love going and sitting in the temple. Yeah. But the the warrior spirit you need to be out there in the street is different. Yeah. Um. But I think I just got, I got, okay, yeah. I This is the first time I'm saying this. I got like swept up in his, in his tornado of Vakti, I think. Totally. Totally. That, yeah. That's, that's how we... That's how we get bhakti from more from more bhakti. You know, we mm. associate with those who who have have it and who inspire us. And then we sadhu sangha is like the main main thing. We can't, you know, there's you're, like hundreds of stories, thousands of stories of this similar people getting swept up by other some devotees, Vishnu John Swami, for example, coming to talk with Indra Swami about you know Prabhupada and stuff, and he was like, "What is this? Similar to you, exactly." And kind of just you know, that's how we have Indra Swami through that. It's right. it's a similar thing. So yeah. so, and then you join the temple, and then how long did were you in the temple? Did you put on saffron immediately? Brahmacharya, you shave your head, the whole thing. <laughs> well, there was no standard, right? Like, oh. I seen like I I mean, it, very sixties, I think, very seventies. Where I moved to the temple, they're like, "Oh, let's shave his head and put him on, put him in saffron." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> that's awesome." What else is there to do, right? Right. So I didn't know what I was embarking 
uh, into or what what the saffron cloth meant. I mean, I, I knew already, but not quite in depth. Right. Um, yeah, so I think, I'm not sure how, I. it was almost like a year, I think maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my service, this is when my kitchen services started. Because mm-hmm. I would cut fruits and polish the pots for the deities. Because uh, he was like Dharma Prabhu who who vowed to the deities never to leave him. That he was Is never going to leave As far as I know, yes. But uh-huh. I haven't been in the Miami Temple in a really long time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh but it's, it, but anyways, it's amazing. Like they had a big standard. They didn't want anybody who was not initiated in the kitchen. Yet somehow or another, here's little Bacta Oscar cutting fruits and washing the pots for the deities. And I'm a, I'm a really fast learner. Like huh. that's something that has been given to me in this lifetime. And just even by watching him, I like I learned from him like cooking. Just like even without me like. Nowadays, sometimes I'm like, oh, I learned this from Dharma. Like, I saw him doing this. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I started cutting fruits. And I was like, because the temple had such few people in it. So I was, like, cutting fruits for breakfast. I was, like, cutting vegetables for lunch. I was cutting fruits for 4 o'clock. And I was cutting fruits for nighttime, doing the dishes and cleaning the kitchen at night. Plus, my daily service which was going on Harinam with Siddhavidya. Sometimes it was four of us, sometimes it was just him and me. Wow. And you did that for a year. I did that for a year. I mean I had been going on Harinam with Siddhavidya for two years prior because I since I started going to the temple I started going on, right. on Harinam with him. Right. And um then I was like but I felt lonely. I felt like I was like ah this is kind of, in a way, it just became boring because I, I felt like I needed more. See, the video was only there, like, for little snippets. I needed some sadhu sangha and some, like, more young people to feel like I was doing something that I liked. Mm-hmm. So I talked to the temple president, and I was like, I want to go to a temple where there's more brahmacharis. And their answer was like, okay, you can go to... Uh, Buenos Aires, because Gunagrahi Swami has a, an amazing project there. Or we have heard about New York, where there is this small ashram, where, which is thriving. And at, the, at that time, my family was here in the United States. So it just it just seemed more sound for me to go to New York instead of moving all the way down to the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. So I moved to New York. What year was that? Ah, um, six or something. Six, two thousand and six, I think. Yeah. Yes, two thousand and six. Wow. I flew to Ratayatra, and then I and then I actually met Radhavalava in Yagipurusha in the Festival of Inspiration in New Vrindavan, and asked if I could move to New York, and they're like, "Yeah, come on over." So a few months later, I flew to be in the Ratayatra. And then a week later, I took a taxi to <laughs> the Lower East Side. And, and that wasn't... Oh, it was Keshava's birthday. I arrived Keshava. from 
Keshavacharya's birthday. Keshavacharya's birthday. Okay. And it was so sweet because they did this whole like birthday thing of like. Yeah, the birthday thing. I love that. Yes. This was my introduction introduction to the temple, and I was like, "What? These people are awesome!" Like, I was immediately like, my heart was cracked open and so excited that I was going to live in the company of these beautiful people. So, like, they had cake and pizza, and everyone glorified. You know, for six hours, they glorify. Everyone goes over and says one hour each to glorify the brahmacharya. That was such a beautiful time. Birthdays were amazing there, right? Yeah, so nice. So you moved into New. Like, did you? What did you think of New York? I mean, it's not easy to live in New York, and you did it for what, like five, seven years, something like that. Uh, in the temple in New York. Yeah. Yeah, temple. I was in the temple of me in New York, probably like half, five and a half, almost six. Wow. Okay. So you first used, but it wasn't at the sanctuary yet, right? It was. It no, was. Like, it was. Oh, it was yeah. at the sanctuary already. No, when I moved into the temple, but it was very different. I mean, I it was just like when you when you and I were living there, right. we had the apartment six W, and uh, we just had one apartment and the temple. That was the yes. that was our territory. <laughs> So many memories from there. Like there was another too group band of devotees. Too much famine. Yeah. <laughs> there was another group of devotees living that living there who were like followers of Bhaktipad. And so we would like have clashes with them. I mean, I was cool with them because like I don't know, they didn't seem as like a threat or anything, but yeah. um everyone else kind of like always had clashes with them. But uh, so what was your experience uh, experience like from going from Miami to New York? It was just like you you plugged into everything and you were like this is it. Uh I mean it was one of the things that I loved I think I thrive in my life I noticed that something that I've gotten from Krishna consciousness is thriving in organization on on like schedules. Yeah. Um so I mean in a way it was more relaxed than Miami because Miami Mangalartic was like Got like four o'clock in the morning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was waking like at 3 30, 3 o'clock. Here in, in, in New York, Mangalarti was like what five? No, we had to be in the temple by five. Yeah, yeah. To chant. And then Mangalarti was at 7 a.m. Or something. It wasn't it was, I think it was like, like 5 30 or something. I anyway, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, it was, it was like a like a different arrangement. Yeah, it was different, yeah. Um Experience of New York. The, I mean, New York, I mean, the city itself was very jarring. Yeah. <laughs> like when I got out of the plane and I um, took the subway, it was like a homeless living in the subway with like 10 bags of like plastic bags around him. And I was like, what? Where am I? And then like getting out in Hoyt's camera horn, I was like, it smells terrible. Yeah. Then, like now that area is beautiful, but it used to be not very nice. Yeah. So I was like, "Wow, what did I do? Okay, we are in for this." But I'm, I'm also I grew up in Bogota, which is like a, a bustling city, also. So, all oh, right, right. There was some comfort in being in a busy city, mm -hmm. um, but also I have to say that even now, um, my time in the Bhakti Center seems for me is just a joyful it's like one of the most beautiful times of my life where 
I learned how to be organized. I learned how to lead with my heart, how to open my heart to others, how to be able to share how I feel. Um, it just showed me so, so many beautiful things that I apply into my daily life with my clients, with my friends. Um, yeah, I just said a standard for myself. And I really, that's, really appreciate that. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I feel like, you know, there's that there's that story with Jaidwaita Swami where, where like, I think it's Jaidwaita Swami, but someone asked him like, uh, he's like, should I be brahmachari for like a year or t two years? He's like, if you can't be brahmachari for a year, be a brahmachari for a month. If you can't be for a month, be for a week. If you can't be for a week, be for a day. And they're like, a day? And he's like, yeah, because you'll look back on that day and say, that was the best day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and and and, and I, I hold similar view to what you're saying, you know, like remembering those times and those times of, um, you know, developing oneself, being able to live with others. Like I remember so much, like we, we get into fights and things because we're living in such close quarters with others, mm. other men, and just like really, uh, you know, serving together, but also getting under each other's skin a lot and, yeah. and, and, uh, being able to, I remember so many times being like, Oh, you know, I apologize. Are you apologize to me? <laughs> and then just like interesting, interesting dynamics that uh, we had to work through and things. Uh, do you remember like, what were your biggest, um, I would say, what were your biggest challenges during those years as a, as a brahmacharya? Um, oh God, I'm going to be so honest that I'm a little ashamed, but I hope if, if this person listens to this, I am, I've like tried so much in my heart to just let you go. Sure. Sure. But living with Gadadhar was one of the hardest things for me. Mm. I think I think whatever his um, his whatever he was working with in his lifetime at, at that time, or like his his own his one, I I see that sometimes, and I feel like the lonely child, the 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 only child syndrome mm. for me was so hard. He was like even now sometimes like thinking about Gadarhar, I get like like I feel like this, like my body clenches. <laughs> uh, that was very interesting right. to. But also, okay, so that was that was one difficulty that I had, just like living with somebody who I just like clashed so much emotionally and just like such a jarring human in right. my experience. He probably is like a beautiful, wonderful human now. And <laughs> everyone, you know, we, we all have, we all grow and develop in different ways, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I think that was difficult. Um, Going on book distribution, some yeah. of the most difficult things that I've ever experienced in my life. Although I uh, recently I did some coaching with a wonderful devotee, and I um, so in my business now I um, I have to jump on sales calls with people who are gonna uh, study with me or that are, that I'm going to be their meditation mentor or whatever is it that I am helping them in their life. I have to do a sales call. Right. And I realized that in book distribution, I was so afraid, first of all, to approach people. And I barely sold any book because I would make the decision that this person was not going to buy the book for me, even before I stopped them. So that was, I mean, even, 
but I've been healing that <laughs> because I have to do calls now and I'm selling something. I'm like, so this is the price, you know, right. um, that you have to pay if you want to work with me. Uh, so it's very interesting I, for me. That was really, really, really hard. The whole Christmas marathon and Summer all the marathon. book distribution idea was very hard <laughs> there was a whole like there's a whole culture kind of i could say you could say around it yeah even, like in iskon during that time even now i mean maybe now less because just brahmachari ashrams are very like few and far between but uh you know yagya purush prabhu himself was a book distributor mm. you know years and years before he had even had that ashram so that inspiration from him like kind of trickled on to everyone else radhavallabha yeah. also was a book like everyone there was practically a book mm. so everyone got kind of caught up even people like me and you who were, who were or not even like sort of book distributor like personalities we still went out and felt inspired to do it but it was inc incredibly hard because i felt there was a lot to do with uh, the numbers that came in, you know, after you come back, you know, okay, how many did you do? What's the Lakshmi points and all that stuff. <laughs> the Lakshmi points. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, interesting dynamic uh, there also. Um, but, but, a, but a good experience, I think. I mean, yeah. like just like you said, you know, you, you're, you're kind of using some of that stuff in your daily yeah. life now. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I had to get over the fear of approaching people and, asking for what I want. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was hard. But other than that, like going on Harinam with Ganesham and all those beautiful times before, what is that group of people that go out in Harinam now in Union Square? Isn't there uh, New York City Harinam, Ram Roy Prabhu's. Yeah, we are the OG. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. We were doing it in, what, we were doing it in 07? <laughs> now 10 years he started Amazing. 10 years ago in march like next month it's going to be 10 years of them doing that how beautiful yeah yeah i mean we we were doing it at washington square park union square yeah. in subway um oh it was really nice i just remember um morley priya morley priya yeah <laughs> wow all our friends the our Asian friends yeah Sending love to all of them if they're yeah watching. if they're watching yeah. Um, when you look back on these times, how do you see it now? How do you, do you see it with? Do you see things that you didn't like or you wished it differently, or do you look at it all wholesale? Like, hey, this is a good, great experience. Or, um, for me, is uh, a overall great experience. Mm -hmm. and and the only thing that i that i would do different now is that i would have come out during that time to be honest and know that i that i am gay that in this lifetime i have that proclivity mm -hmm. because i feel that i mean first of all i come from a family where my dad was very homophobic so and they South American machismo didn't help in that perspective of me even understanding that it was okay to be gay, right? Yeah. So in a way, quite honestly, one of the reasons why I moved into a temple to be a monk was because I was like, oh, if I'm a monk, 
I don't have to be gay. I'm just going to be celibate for the rest of my life. It was kind of like an out, like a, like escape route from something that I did not want to experience in my life. But then now I feel like how much what I have become conscious of is that how much more spiritual um, advancement I would have actually made in the temple if I had been true to myself and true to everybody who was around me. Because then that, that in a way, that secret just didn't allow me to shine fully. Because once you're hiding something, yeah. you cannot be your, your, you are actually cheating yourself from your real self and you're actually not allowing everybody around you to experience your full self. Right. So I, I wish that I had accepted and been okay with being gay and still being a brahmachari or whatever, or, or being a devotee um, overall. Right. That's a really interesting point because let's say if you did, was there, is there even a, is there even a infrastructure or any kind of well, thing to support that at that time? Uh, I think that this is a great point, Namras, which I think is um, and something that we really need to observe in our Vaishnava culture yeah. is that being gay is not something you choose. Like, I did not choose to be gay. I, like, I remember when I was seven years old and I was watching a movie of Jean-Claude Van Damme and the guy came out naked. And I saw him and I immediately felt like what they called it, the the <laughs> the Hridaya Granta. Like I was like, oh, I, I got so Attraction. scared. Yeah. I was like, I'm attracted to this dude. Yeah. Oh, what is it gonna be of me? Immediately. Shame, guilt, everything that I've heard, all the shame, all the things that I've heard about gay people, my dad criticizing our hairdresser, or even people call each other uh gay as a derogative thing. Right. Homo. Right right mm -hmm. um immediately i created like a different personality like i dissected who i was to like protect something that felt so tender and so scary in the temple many of our cool of our devotees even the little kids that are growing up in the in the in the in the Hare krishna movement are gonna be gay are gay probably right now there yeah. are so many people who are probably in their in the closet yeah, but okay. In in a way, being gay is just another, just like how you in um how you Namras identify himself as a male that likes women, right? Yeah. There are gonna be boys that are gonna like boys and girls that are gonna like girls, and unless they have somebody to look up to, or or some sort of acceptance in the movement then it's going to be really hard for those kids to feel welcome. And I did not, it's not that I not, the, the question that you're doing, that you're asking is like, would there have been an, an infrastructure? I don't think so. I wonder how it would have been dealt with. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I, in a way, I see also Yagya's kindness and the beauty of the way that he just saw every one of us souls because even when i when i left the temple i kind of i revealed to him that i was doing something that that i had broken my principles 
and that I didn't want to be that I that I felt like I should just be honest and leave outside of the temple. There was no judgment. It was just like, okay, let's help you out. Find a place to live. I'll give you the first month of rent. You can work in the cafe. And yeah, right. no judgment. Just like go live your life. So right. and even know. in even the in the even in Srila Prabhupada's time, you know, there were devotees, disciples of his who were gay, and he and they told Prabhupada, and Prabhupada was very broad-minded in that way. It seems that uh, you know, I I don't understand why right now in our movement or at that time i think now more is is it's there's something there's there's kind of a, some accommodation i would say but not fully and and not in yeah it's it like gray matter in there yeah yeah but um yeah i mean just around that so you didn't kind of come out of the closet until you left the brahmacharya ashram yeah, like a year yeah, no, later. No, no, I remember none of us knew that. And that when you told you told us like after you left, I remember we, I had gone, it had been years or one or two years since I had left. And then you told told I think yeah. calling people and telling. Because so tell I was also going through my own discovery, yeah, through my yeah. own acceptance of myself. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I didn't leave the ashram and like decided to be gay right away. <laughs> Right. I actually left the ashram and for like a year I was just so shy, even like making friends outside of the I yeah, even making friends outside of the temple was weird because I didn't know pop culture and it was just like, what do you talk about? After you have been a monk for six or seven years, what do you talk about with people that do not follow Krishna consciousness? Yeah. Um and then I um there was this girl that was attracted to me. She asked me on, out on a date and we like went out on a few dates and she made me feel comfortable with being sexual. And after that, I was like, this actually does not feel right. So I, I was like, I'm going to try something with a guy. Mm -hmm. And the moment that I allowed myself to have that experience in my life, I was like, yeah, this is it. I can actually not fool myself because it would have been such a disservice. Like, in my mind, I was creating all this. I was like, maybe I should marry this girl, you know, like this devotee girl. Like I was just, how do I continue this lie in my life to be accepted, to be liked, to not be rejected by my parents? Or maybe the devotees, because, you know, like we live in this mental world sometimes of fear. Mm -hmm. When you told devotees, what was their, re were their react? I mean, remember, I remember you getting the call from you and I, and I was just like, well, you're, you're, you're still home to me. Like, does that make no difference at all? Uh, or were there varied kind of reaction uh, or most of my Western friends were fine. They were like, Oh, oh, we love you, dude. Congrats. Almost, you know, like good right. for you. Right. And, um, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, there was like a devotee who I told it, like I told him that I was gay and he was just like, I haven't heard of from him since you know it was just like mm. beep, you know like so shocked and i understand it's okay you know mm. um how does that make you feel or how did that make you feel that made me feel strange yeah also when i was a little brahmachari when i was a very new brahmachari i was traveling with a swami which i'm not going to mention his name right now so that sure, you don't need to mention names anyways and I remember 
there was a conversation that the Swami was having maybe with Juan and I, and I don't know like how the 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 homosexuality thing came out. And he's like, oh yeah, like the Swami said to us. Oh, that was so rough to hear because I was like, okay. Uh, he was like, oh yeah, the 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 homosexuals could never be full-on devotees because they're just so materialist. They're like, they're, they're so in their body. Like they're so identified with their body that they will never be really serious. Or like, and I was like, oh, okay. You know? Wow. Um, so <laughs> that didn't give me any confidence in coming out. Um, so there's some work to do. I mean. For sure. I mean, the, there are, you know, there's Galva, there's that gay and yeah. Yeah. Uh, lesbian associate uh, association. And I'm trying to get that devotee who leads that on. I think he's a Prabhupada disciple. Yeah. Um, so if you're, if he's watching, please Prabhu, come on and talk to me. We <laughs> love to. And, and, and just to, I mean, you're, you're kind of keeping out a whole, you know, uh, you know, amount of people if we're not accommodating uh these the, the people to, to krishna conscious e krishna consciousness is for everyone it's not just yeah. for heterosexuals it's like for yeah. everyone yeah. and and um yeah i know I, I think there needs to be there needs to be discussion obviously this is a, this is one of them a discussion around how you know bringing things up to the surface of of how devotees have felt like yourself in in these situations um and going back to that you know after you left the ashram that transition even that transition from into the ashram to out of the ashram that can be so jarring like you said you didn't even have how to make friends with people because you had missed the whole number of years in in whatever pop culture or whatever culture was what do you talk about with people like that so then how did you kind of acclimatize yourself back to like normal society oh god it was so such an awkward two years of my life um i'm a rock climber that's my my sport my hobby so i just went back to the rock it was interesting i feel like whatever like the the spot where i before i became a devotee <laughs> it's just like i took after i left so i went back to the climbing gym mm. and that's how i made friends but then I also, I was feeling so lost. I mm. think I also coming out and having experiences with, I mean, I, I think I want to mention something here is that I would have loved to have like an elder devotee who is openly gay or is like super dharmic, you know, that, that I could look up to to get some guidance from. You didn't feel like you could get that from some someone else who was wasn't gay or who i didn't actually like the galva thing i found out like probably like four years after i left the temple right it's kind of underground in some yeah, ways it was, so, like i did not know about this yeah 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 i didn't really know any gay devotees wow interesting or maybe i had seen some like in brooklyn temple or something but i was like i i didn't they were not like they didn't have the um, the stand of of uh, of an elder mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like i yeah right so i i felt shelterless i felt lonely in that aspect so i i think also 
leaving the temple was um I've I've told this story many, many different ways, and it has changed as I evolve as a human, as I go deeper in my spirituality, as I forgive myself for mistakes or different turns that I had. I feel like when I became a, a devotee, when I decided to explore the world of bhakti at 16, I was just a kid. I had never experienced the all the the maya or the darkness that we call in in the in the scriptures so i feel like when i left the monastery it was just like i made i i like needed to learn all this heartache and experience firsthand what the scriptures were talking about in the in the flip side Mm -hmm. so yeah i um i started drinking again and i was promiscuous for a while and yeah it was very like uh, it was like i felt very disconnected i just felt uh, like and and what was the only time right and and from knowing like you know some like knowing the philosophy and being a brahmacharya for all those years and things how would how did your relationship with krishna change as you Huh. We're in the ashram. We're in the ashram, ama- like one of the most amazing pujaris I've ever, ever known who to dress Shishirada or Murli Dar. No one dresses like you. I'll just say that publicly. No one dresses like you. And still to this day, no one dresses like you. The deities. How did your relationship with Krishna change from going through all this kind of hard, hard material stuff? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, ultimately, he never changed never changed in a way i turned away you know what i'm saying like my sadhana definitely suffered and all my spiritual practices kind of fizzled out right but my love for krishna and my in my desire to be in kirtan and my going to see morally whenever i could like pop in into the temple same excitement same desire same like i don't think <laughs> And it's very beautiful because in a way now I consider myself a student of, of life, a student of spirituality, and I am so excited to hear about people's paths. And I, in the last few years, I've been delving into like Native American uh, culture and their spirituality, and I think it only enriches what I know about Krishna. Um, so I don't think my, my relationship didn't change in the sense that I felt forgotten or I, that I didn't love Krishna anymore. No, it actually, Krishna, if there's anything, okay, I want to say this. If there's anything that has remained a constant in my life, is Krishna. That's amazing because usually what happens is that people who may fall away for some time, they will feel some sort of incredible guilt, incredible uh, feelings that these feelings of guilt that even, even they believe Krishna, they, they believe they have, but they they think, okay, I turn my back on Krishna, so to say, and, and, uh, and Krishna, I don't, I don't feel like he, you know, he turned his back on me too, you know, like in your case, it seems like he's always, you know, you didn't feel any, kind of like you harmonize something yeah i think in a way um 
just like when I was little, I always believed in God and whoever that whoever the great spirit was was the great spirit for me. Mm-hmm. And I think in the temple I learned that God was Krishna. So that became I that just like is the constant. So even now that I want to say this because you also did a podcast about this uh, a few months ago. I uh, three years ago, I sat in a ayahuasca ceremony. Oh right, right. And it's like one of the most powerful things that I ever experienced in my life. And I think that all my years in the temple and all my years of meditation became clear in one night. Like it was just clear like clear in what way. <laughs> I don't know, like, like, like that this was the path that what I was doing was right, and that that Krishna is God, you know, like very clear that I'm a spirit, that I'm connected to spirit, and um, yeah, actually, the disconnection from Krishna just fizzled. Out. Like it was just like a. You 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 felt some before the ceremony. You felt some disconnect. Well, just because I didn't chant japa, and I, right. you know, I'm, I mean, I. Follow all the regs. <laughs> yeah, Dumble, I have a, a steady partner, my husband. Uh, I'm a vegetarian. Right. And uh, yeah. And and through ayahuasca, I stopped, I stopped intoxication. I, I don't do intoxication anymore. Wow. Um, through so ayahuasca, I, you, you, you kind of... It, it, you you learned or you felt like it's not that's not something you want to do or wow that's a great question yeah um the spirit of that plan has some amazing power to reconnect you to god to reconnect you to your ancestors to reconnect you to the to your path it's I, I mean, how does that how does that work though because it you know how we hear like you know when Prabh- when Prabhupada was would preach and and they would say oh like he would you know like when the people were doing LSD and stuff he's like there's no need to have like something material to connect you to something spiritual so how do you explain like so when you say like oh that, that this kind of this experience had an ability to connect you with God somehow like how do you explain that well. Great question. I'm not, I'm not like challenging you. No, I and I don't feel challenged at all. Okay. okay. <laughs> I feel like more excited to just like try to articulate this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, totally. I think so two two things. For example, LSD is something that like we like humans created. Right? Like we created this drug. Yeah. In a way, ayahuasca is a medicine. That's actually how the people of the jungle consider it. Mm. And it's like a plant that they brew. And this brew actually brings visions of... It connect, it, it, okay, so what it does, it just like removes the false ego. And oh. then you can have a real conversation with yourself. Wow, interesting. And it like cuts through like so many areas of the darkness... Look, our body stores trauma, whether if it is in like so many of the diseases that we suffer from are because there's trauma locked in areas of our body. Right. Right. But also, yeah. So this vessel that we carry around when given the perfect medicine can also just like release. 
So for me, the attachment to alcohol, the attachment to different, um, let's to keep it PG to like like sexual proclivities or wounds that were there, they just kind of like became more. I don't know. Like I understood other things and I saw light again. So it was like for me, it was like a like a key to reignite something that was in the back burner of my life. I like the way you explained it about okay, you know, it strips away the ego where you can kind of be honest with it with yourself. That's more understandable from what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it removes that like the chatter. It removes the idea of who you are, who you are in this lifetime, what you are supposed to achieve, and just allows you to have a conversation with yourself. Yeah. So it's, it's a medicine that you is is a is a nighttime it's a ceremony that you do overnight, and during the night you just have this. Yeah, like quiet, re, like it shows you your darkness of childhood. It just goes through your entire life sometimes, and it's just like in in span like. I always felt like I didn't know who my ancestors were. Because even when we read the Bhagavad Gita, there's all this thing about lineage, about, yeah. But if you notice, so for example, for you, you your parents came from India. There's this old descendant, like where you feel like this is your lineage. Right. For me, and I think this is a wound that I've been, that now that I'm speaking to you that I've been dealing with my entire life was just like feeling like lost, feeling like a driven cloud. Like I don't even know who my ancestors were mm. because through colonization, they destroy my roots. And now I'm just a mutt that doesn't know where he, where he comes from. Mm. And with ayahuasca, it was beautiful to re- She was like, you're native. Like you come from the spirit of these people. And I was like, yes, you know, like, yeah, I know. I just like didn't feel, I didn't understand this very well. And now, yeah, keeping keeping our roots, the cultures of our roots are quite important for all of us. So there was like a moderator who kind of helped you do things or is it like, how does it work? And in, in, like, you have to go to a ceremony. It's not like you just do it. Yeah, you go to a ceremony, yeah. and yeah, there's always, um, it depends where you're doing it. Like, if you go to the jungle, there's probably like a shaman. Here in the States, we have people who serve the medicine, so are like either somebody who has been studying with somebody from the Amazon that serves the medicine, offers it, they play music, um, they come around and help you if you need help. Um, mm-hmm. But the conversation really is with yourself. All right. I mean, it's quite part. I mean, now I have I have sat in these ceremonies a few more times, mm-hmm. and it's quite it's quite a specific. Like the like what I'm doing right now in my business of uh, coaching people through meditation and helping them really become steady in their spiritual practices. <laughs> in my conversation with Aya, she told me to do it. She was like. She, for example, told me you're here. One of the most beautiful ceremonies that I ever had. She was like, "You're here to heal people with your food, but in order to heal people with your food, you have to treat your cooking as a as a ceremony." And then I remember how in the temple we purify water with mudras and and mantra, and and I chanted that water mantra for the rest of the night, 
And I have made that into a ceremony that I do every day before I cook. I feel a big jug of water. I'll do the mudras. I chant the mantras. I call on Krishna and I call on the water to teach us how to flow, to teach us how to release everything that we don't need inside our bodies anymore. Wow. And But that ceremony, that remembrance of even my Brahmin path came from that. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is something that I've been looking for, something to expand the healing of my food, not only just by the ingredients, but actually my consciousness and the, the ceremony, the meditation, the prayer that goes into it. Hmm. Amazing. I know a number of devotees, like after I did that for, in that podcast with uh, Chuta Baba about Ayahuasca, I got a few messages from devotees saying like, hey, I tried it and it's, it's he's, what he's talking about is true. You know, I got some kind of, I got something out of it. Yeah. So, um, very I think interesting. it's also, I feel that the when we say something, I don't think it's a cure all, but it's a medicine. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, and it's also should be treated that way. It's not like you're just like going to go, oh, I want to go trip tonight with ayahuasca. No, it's actually, right. there's a spirit in it. There is like a guide that lives in the plant and that can like really talk to you and help you. So I think for me, there were a lot of things in my life that where I was stuck. I was stuck in guilt. I was stuck in some, I think maybe something ancestral or from another lifetime where I needed to heal uh, some sexual things, some like things that I was stuck in. Mm -hmm. You know, it helps like it's a reset. Right. Um, going back to uh, after you left the ashram, um, did you know about like this, the strong quotes that people like, like you can tell, like you can say, like homophobic devotees who quote kind of like the Shri or the quotes from the Srimad Bhagavatam and all that stuff. You, we read the Srimad Bhagavatam together, and I, I'm sure you've read it also. The, yeah. The parts. How, what do you look? How do you feel about those things that are said? Uh, I mean, okay. Actually, I'm gonna walk with this for a second. I'm just gonna close. Yeah, the, the yeah, yeah, no problem. Quite intense here. Yeah, no problem. Um, I wanna move. Sure, sure. Okay. All right. So, so one more second. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I knew about these quotes, but I also, I don't know. How should we say this? I've heard about the quotes. I've read the Bhagavatam myself now a few times. Mm -hmm. Um. And why would I, I don't know. It's just like, it's interesting. How do, why would you become discouraged from a beautiful, such an amazing tradition of healing yeah. just by, I mean, it's interesting. Like if you like, look at the things that the Bhagavad Gita even says about women, you know, right, right. I think everything is Desha Kalapatra, right? Like time, circumstance. Sometimes I think that also, Srila Prabhupada was a man that grew up in, what, the 30s or something, right? In colonial India. And I think, but that's also, okay. Two so I feel like the way that I, my discernment in that is that you have to go deeper, right? It's like, <laughs> if you look at the Vedas, they 
in the beginning they they keep some info in the beginning then like info on the end but like the heart like the real message is in the middle mm -hmm. you have to go through the whole thing so you can actually get the gemstone right in a way the being gay is not the whole is like it's not my identity right it right. just happens to be one of the upadis right like one of the identifications that this body came with through something that i need to work through for enlightenment for liberation or to go back to krishna but it's just one piece would you say that like for example like your experience of krishna consciousness is like very uh you 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 had a very dynamic and very enriching brahmachari monk life and then now many many years years later you have this kind of conception of krishna and how you relate with him and all but for someone who let's say for example let's let's make like a scenario like a gay a newer gay person comes to you and says you've been a devotee for x number of years and uh i i don't i have issue with this like i can't even move forward from 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 reading these things and i feel like judged and i feel whatever i feel what would you be your answer to someone like that because because they didn't have the same experience that you did in krishna consciousness yet hmm. hard question for sure yeah, you're putting me on the spot here <laughs> sorry sorry come Tell on i can never put you on the spot <laughs> um I think I think you did answer that. I think you did answer it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not it's not your full like even even talking to you about it right now. It's like it feels weird because it's like that's not you in the sense of like yeah, of course it's a part of you and and, and this is an amazing conversation to have for pe other people to learn about. But you are so much more like we are so much more than our sexuality. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in a way. Prabhupada also talks about, or or this, I don't know if the scriptures or Prabhupada talks about black people. Right. It's just another part. It's just like an identity. It's just like another upadi. It's just, right. I think really, I think teaching somebody about them being the soul is like the most beautiful teaching that anybody can receive. Mm. Because when you understand, and this is it, when you understand that you're the soul, then you're just like off the hook of having to suffer through this, the futility of life, right. of being born, reproducing, getting sick and dying. Like that sounds like to me, like something really depressing. Yeah. But when you are able to like, I think that that was for me, I think that was the core teaching that attracted me to Christian consciousness. The fact that, oh yeah, we're souls. And the soul is undying, you know, cannot be cut, cannot be burned. It's just what it is. Mm. And there and there can be eternal life, like to break the, the circle of birth and, birth and death. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very tricky thing to, um, to handle. I'm not even sure how to... But I, I, I guess I feel lucky in the sense that I it sure. was not like um like I wasn't jarred by the comment or by the understanding. Yeah. I, I look back on what you said earlier that if you, you wished you had someone older or, or who are more experienced, open to 
openly being gay and, and who are devotees, <clears throat> you were going to be that for someone. Like you're older now. And you and now that you know this podcast Christian's arrangement somehow it has a, a a bit of a stretch. So yeah, I'm sure you'll get messages from people saying <coughs> I'm gay too. And yeah, what do you think about XYZ and what do you think about how I do this? And so, so you're going to be that, I feel. I feel it's just a, a kind of a it a is it is already idea. happening. Tell us about that. Yeah, it has it has sorry, my throat got so dry. It has There's happened no a bunch of times now. Yeah. Um where it's a little sad also because these are devotees that sometimes are in the in the limelight mm -hmm. and they're like oh i'm gay but i'm afraid that i'm going to be rejected by the temple mm. <coughs> hard to hard to hear that yeah and then a few years ago this this devotee from South India, a, a Brahmin somewhere in South India, uh, Iskon Temple, he was dating in secret with another Brahmin here in North America. Like they're just dating online. Mm. And I was like, wow, this is sad. In a way, it's like, okay, great. You found each other. How beautiful. But also how difficult that it all has to be in, in, in darkness. Because that's the thing. It's like if we put people in the dark, how how are we going to call people to the light, to Krishna, to come to their full self, to accept themselves, to accept God in their life, if we are not able to show Him love and show Him compassion for whatever, um, yeah, upadi they come with in this lifetime. Yeah. So, yeah, if... Um, if any of you out there need some guidance, <laughs> I will be honored to guide you in any little way I can. Mm -hmm. in, in, in the same, in the same course, uh, tell us a little bit about your, um, like you were saying how you were kind of experimenting and then you, you now finally, not finally you've landed in years now of, uh, in a monogamous marriage yeah tell us about that <clears throat> but wait what tell me a little more what what is the question meaning, meaning like uh tell us your experience of you know because because there you know there's a story of Prabhupada and i think it's one of his servants upendra and uh he, he, Upendra tells Prabhupada, like, I'm gay and, you know, I, I'm, I'm moving on now from your service or whatever. And Prabhupada told him, you know, practice Krishna consciousness, like live with one person and just practice Krishna consciousness. And um, what has been your experience being in a gay marriage? Um, if you'd like to, if you want to share, yeah. you don't, you don't have to, but I'm just. No. I'm in a way, <laughs> I feel like I'm an open book. Yes, you are. Um, That's why I'm asking you all the tough questions. <laughs> so, uh, well, first of all, my husband is not a devotee. He is um, a beautiful soul that came into this world to be with me. <laughs> and that is a very grounding energy in my life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in a way, what I, what I have to say about marriage whether straight or gay, if you look at the Vedic tradition, the reason why we get married is so that we 
have a responsibility so that we become responsible and we just don't start so that we don't yeah so that we don't first of all create unwanted progeny right that's one of them Mm -hmm. or just even like the whole experience of being in relationship is one of the most important things just because it reflects to you all the time like you cannot hide in a relationship right like they are there to like love you and be with you but also they are a mirror to you so really i think partnership is amazing for relationship i mean for for our spiritual life because in a way they are like for me does like <laughs> i love being busy and hanging out with like for me a successful day in new york was having breakfast with somebody going to work then biking to the climbing gym then i'm going to have dinner with somebody else and then i want to go hang out for drinks that was like like a full day of seeing as many people as i could doing as many activities as possible right but who can live like that? I mean, in, in partnership, you you are with your partner. You go home to somebody. They become your shelter. They become the person that you are, uh, you have accountable, right? Like you come home, you have to make money. You have to, like all these things that just bring groundedness. And for me, Dustin is that human that I call home. I go i wake up every day at 3 a.m with him and we start cooking for our clients we cook together then we go deliver to different areas of la then we have a full life like then we go rock climbing together and do all our activities and we go to sleep super early because we gotta wake up at 3 a.m the next day and then on the weekends we'll go camping we'll do things that are fun for us and Mm -hmm. it's just brings the element of that joyful companion and of being grounded of not having to have the wandering eye for what is shiny out there anymore because you are settled in a monogamous relationship and that's that's what i have learned from it is just like how much more of a stable, grounded person I can be because I'm in a relationship. That's that's a really great ex- explanation. Um, yeah, I think that's the I think that's one of the biggest things. Like you said, the 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 wandering eye. It's like you're kind of like making a making a a focus for yourself. Like, okay, this is home. This is where I who I come home to, and and then from there you can build a life uh, of whatever. Yeah whatever you're doing and uh, talk to us a little bit about in more recent years. um, What have you been up to and what is your life? I mean, you told us a little bit about what it looks like, but uh, in regards to Krishna consciousness and in regards to your business. Yeah. I moved to Los Angeles five years ago. Now I moved to LA because I had a job. My clients that I was a chef for in New York decided to move to LA and I had recently met Dustin in New York, and he had moved back to the West. So I had love, and I had a job. <laughs> so although everything I knew in life was in New York, I made the jump and moved to LA. 
And I love this beautiful city. I get to see the sunset every day and beautiful skies and have great hiking. <laughs> It's a, I, I love California. Mm. I don't have to experience winter anymore. Only if I want to. I'll just drive five hours north and I'll have, or two hours north and I'll have snow. But I don't have to suffer through the. <laughs> You're really suffering over here. <laughs> <laughs> winter. Um, So when I moved to um, L.A., I was working for a couple for a, for a while. She happens to be a coach. And she was like, hey, I think you're wasting your time just having us as a client. You should have a business. And she coached me. She was like, I want you to think about the offerings that you want to do to the world. Make a website, get your cards, and tell everybody what you do. And that's what I did. I got really organized about the things that I wanted to offer, uh, which were cooking classes, catering, private chefing. And I started doing that. And everybody that I talked to, I gave them a card. And I just became known as uh, Chef Ohm. And um, it's amazing. My business just like flourished really quickly, which I, in a way, I think is a gift from Krishna because really cooking is a gift that I got from him. I didn't know how to cook before the temple, nor did I want to learn. When Yagya told me, hey, Om, we want you to learn how to cook, I immediately was like, no way, I don't want to cook. It sounded too scary because yeah. when we cooked in the ashram, it was like for 100 people, 200 people, like it was huge cooking. Yes, I remember. Uh, so Radhavalava told me how to make chili and... <laughs> gave me imparted his knowledge of chili upon me and then just like made me comfortable in the kitchen and then it's interesting because even my business right now is very much on the basis of what i did in the temple because i had been serving in the in the kitchen in in miami they offered 12 things or 15 things for the for the offering for the deities and in the back to center we used to give him bread and kitchen every day <laughs> So I was the one that is like, no, this doesn't cut it anymore. So yeah, I yeah. taught myself to speed cook. Right. So in right. those two hours of cooking, I would make four sabjis, three rices, dal, chapati, everything, right? And I became like a really fast cook. A great cook. Fantastic cook. And uh, that's what I do now. I wake up at 3 a.m. and I cook Five different meals, six different breakfasts, two soups for my clients every day. And so he's like, How many regular clients do you have? We have around 20 clients right now. Some of them are families, some of them are like, and, and they can, what I do is that I send a daily menu and they, with five options for breakfast, four meals. And when I say a meal, it's like vegetables, uh, rice, uh, some lentils or beans, whatever it is, like a yeah. whole dish. Five, four of those in two soups and they can choose whatever they want. Do they choose it the day before or yeah, the day before? So when I left the temple, I had the beautiful opportunity to work under Divya mm -hmm. and she transformed my cooking into amazing, healthy Ayurvedic meals. Like I learned to cook from her. I, she retaught me like she changed my way of cooking. And um, she changed my 
entire way of thinking about food. Like all of a sudden, it was not all fried pakoras and <laughs> the sweet and sour that I made in the temple. Now and, you, was, and you and you lost a lot of weight after you left oh, the ashram. I lost I lost fifty pounds in like three months because I started cooking for Divya and I started biking from Brooklyn to to Manhattan. You were like you were like uh, you know. Gulab jamun in in the ashram. <laughs> and then after you left, I remember I saw you again. You were like skinny, like anything, and that I guess this is it has to do with your um, the way you're eating, the way you're exercising, and things. Yeah. I'd love to do another podcast with you to talk about especially that. That would be fantastic. Yeah, talk about eating, hab eating habits, exercising habits, and things like that. And 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 it's interesting. That's what I do for my clients now. This is what I, I learned to cook Ayurvedic food. I learned to cook food that is healing. What does Ayurvedic food mean, though? Well, Ayurvedic food is food that uh, follows Ayurveda. So mm -hmm. food that is cooked with Ayurvedic spices, um, that is cooked in certain methods that are more healing than others. For example, we don't really fry food. Although, I mean, some some Ayurvedic books that I've seen have fried food, but really, like, yeah. Who wants to eat fried food whenever they want to regain their health? You know, yeah, so no, it's not. really understanding more holistic ways of of feeding ourselves, yeah. or really understanding that what we're putting into your body is what what nourishes us. What we are, we are what we eat, right? So I was a little gulab jamun before because I ate too many gulab. <laughs> oh my gosh! Amazing, um, um, so, so yeah. yeah, I was gonna just like and just to. So that's what I do. I cook. I have beautiful clients, a bunch of them that have just like fallen from the sky. <laughs> like it's amazing. We have celebrities. Like well, you tell me, tell me offline who that is. <laughs> um, like one of my favorite chefs when I was growing up is my client now, and I'm like, what? Like really? it's crazy. Yeah, and and some singers and and now that um. I told you that during my Aya ceremony, she told me to teach meditation, to teach yeah. spirituality. Yeah. So I, I've always been very shy about sharing my spiritual life. Yeah. So, and only in, in after Aya is that I am actually doing it. So I opened up my business to not only be about food, but also meditation. And I've been practicing Qigong for a few years now. So I have clients, like today I had a client that I do Qigong twice a week, every week, either on Zoom or in person. Then I have another client that I am, um, we meditate and then we write. He's a writer and he has some block in his life right now. So we work through his blocks through meditation and prayer. And it's, when you ask me what is my relationship with Krishna, is the same blessed understanding that i am here to serve and that he's providing everything that i have amazing yeah that's it that's one of the takeaways that i really um appreciate about you om is that you've become like a, a wholesome and a holistic like honest person and for you to share your story with us i think is like super valuable because i think a you know a not a pandemic, an epidemic of, of amongst devotees is like we kind of put up these like facades and and that and that blocks us from actually making real progress in 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 spiritual life 
this is the whole my whole takeaway from not being my full self in the ashram. Yeah, yeah. So what you start harboring is all this. I mean, the soul is Satchitananda, right? Like we're joyful and we have all eternity, but like we we need to accept what's going on in this mind and in this vessel that we in our body what we occupy in this and really look closely at every single wound that we have today i wrote in my journal where i was journaling with my client it's like i today i made like when i write i'm telling myself what i want to do like i'm choosing and i was like yeah i i i choose to tend to every single wound that i see that comes out every day whether if it is in my relationship in my communication in things that i'm hiding because in a way Growing up a closeted gay kid, I learned to, I'm an expert at life. Like I'm an expert at it. Mm. But how can I find joy? How can I find my true self? You know, if I continue that line. And, and so you're right. As devotees, like we either have to like get rid of the facade and really be our true selves and come out to the world. I think everybody needs to. Yeah, it's right. your call to. Otherwise, you're stuck. Otherwise, you're stuck in Amazing. all ways. And yeah, yeah. I really, I really miss you all. Oh, Nama. <laughs> I miss you too, dude. I wish that you, I wish we were closer. I wish we were, <laughs> that I was in closer proximity to you. Uh, come, I'm going to come visit you sometime. But the weirdness of social media somehow or another allows me to. Because you are on it, it allows yeah. me to see how you're doing in life and enjoy yeah. your little family and yes. your little antiques. And I love to, I love for you to meet them and get to know you and develop a relationship with you. They're, they're, little, they're so funny. I'm a little bummed that they're so big now. I know. Yeah, I mean the little one is still not speaking, and but and, he's huge but, already, though. Yeah, he's a big, big kid. Like when I see him act, like the way he acts now, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, he's like so a completely different little human now. He's just yeah, like totally. so fast. Totally. So so um so if you want to get in touch with Ohm, he's on Instagram uh and all social media at cooking with Ohm. For all our all our um just audio listeners at cooking with Ohm O M. And then if you want to see his website, it's there ticking at the bottom. www.cookingwithohm.com. You can get in touch with him there. Uh I guess my last question for you, Om, would be uh, is any closing kind of statements or any future plans or any kind of like review of, of what we takeaways maybe? Oh, I so first of all, thank you for having me and for just, I feel so comfortable with you. First yeah. of all, because you're such a beautiful friend, and yes, we've been through and through. Yeah, we've been through a lot together. Yeah. yeah. So first of all, I just I'm grateful to be here with you and to share my heart Definitely. because I think this is one of like the deepest conversations we've ever had. For sure, yeah. And also because today I made some really deep statements about my relationship with Krishna that I've never really explained right so my takeaway is that my only constant in the la in my adult life is being krishna 
you know, it's like he's always been in my altar. I've always had altars in all my houses, mm. whether if I worshipped or not, you know. Yeah. Krishna has always been my grounding, um, yeah, my 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 grounding companion, truly, and uh, I'm so grateful. Recently, I started um, in my deliveries in the morning. I pass right by the temple, LA Temple, through the LA Temple, and I was like, actually, I have 20 minutes to stay to stay here for Guru Puja. So I've been going to Guru Puja almost like a month now. Amazing. And it's so ecstatic. I love it. I also love the fact that nobody knows me. Right. Because sometimes like it's, it's, it's sometimes like when people know you in the temple, you're like, it's like so much conversation. I'm like, I, I you're nice, but I want to see him, like the one right there in the temple with his beautiful flute. I came to see him, you know, like <laughs> nice to see you. Let me pray. Right. Uh and he's been like one of the best developed this year on the 31st of like on the new years, my, my, I never really do these intentions and stuff because I feel like I psych myself out of it. Yeah. But this, this year it was just a prayer. I was like, I just want to grow my spiritual family. Like I want to do things. I want to talk to people that like to talk about spirit, that like to talk about God. This is what I want in my life. Mm. This was the purpose of this year. Amazing. Like all of a sudden, Krishna gives me and says, "Ah, okay, come to come to Guru Puja," and they sing Jashramatinandan every morning, and it's like <laughs> my reconnection to that song is like so beautiful, you know. Awesome, um, thank you so much for doing yeah. this. I I appreciate you take you know putting yourself out a little online a little bit and and uh for for me as a for a friend and things and i really appreciate that it was fantastic talking to you i'd love to do it again we could do the um we could do a specific topic as far as like uh ayurveda cooking or um exercise and health and things like that it would be really fantastic to to do that my brother i want you to know that i will go to the end of the earth <laughs> for you to do a podcast thank that you man. i i actually feel very honored you were you're, in your podcast. You're, you're awesome you spoke really beautifully anyways om thank you so much again thank you all our listeners if you again if you want to get in touch with him you can find him at cooking with om on instagram facebook and his website uh om thank you and thank you to all our listeners Hare krishna see you soon om stay on i'm just going to turn off the recording Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna.